0: Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people, whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm so excited to share with you my guest for this episode. We are in Liberty, New York, in the Sullivan County Catskills. I am sitting with Nathaniel Whitmore. He is our region's expert in identification and use of wild plants and mushrooms. He's an herbalist, a forager, a mushroom expert. He focuses on healing foods, on the medicine of the plant world, and so many other things Truly, Nathaniel is a legend in these parts, as they say, so I'm very, very happy to be able to have this conversation.
1: This is uh, Nathaniel Whitmore.
0: Welcome, Nathaniel.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's begin with how you began this adventure with plants, with uh, medicinal herbs, with your own healing practice, and with this knowledge.
1: So I... Grew up in Damascus, Pennsylvania on a family farm. So I, I always go back to that upbringing as um, my starting point because you naturally learn about plants because you're making hay and growing in the things in the garden and out in the forest collecting firewood. And uh, so you uh, naturally learn about these things. And then um, I had um, interest as a young teenager in uh native american uh history and also in um some spiritual ideas uh like dream interpretation and uh, various things like that and that led me to be introduced to a man who uh was quite well known in the area named Taterbug Tyler and uh he was a uh he was a a, a local folk healer medicine man He was a ginseng hunter and he started teaching me about wild foods and making maple syrup and picking different kinds of herbs. He's the one that got me started thinking about medicine because as a young person, I was relatively healthy and um, what gets most people into this so-called alternative uh, medicine world is often some kind of sickness or something that that stimulates people to, to to go an alternate route. For me, it was kind of more organic. It's hard to pinpoint what it was, but uh, taterbugs' influence was, was kind of the starting point.
0: Nathaniel, taterbug, I want to learn a little bit more about this teacher of yours. You mentioned <clears throat> ginseng hunting. So what is that is this around us here in the Catskills and the Upper Delaware region in the Northeast.
1: So often people are surprised to learn about American ginseng being here, but this was a a major region for American ginseng. Pretty much all of the Appalachian Mountain range is and or was basically it was over harvested and then even more so than that the habitat destruction uh, really did a a number on the uh, ginseng stands in the wild so it's it's pretty much rare and then the deer browse it down so that it's not really able to recover but at one point ginseng was the number one export from the united states of america it was a big part of the fur trade and other resource extraction it's such an important medicine that it it climbed to uh at its peak of export it was it was number 1 but because of greed and the normal kinds of things that take down businesses and um and these kinds of things basically People started harvesting at the wrong time and adulterating, and the the whole market kind of fell from that. And then the environmental destruction that followed made it so that there's not enough really to pick. It's it's protected, now it's protected by international trade law.
0: And you're also describing colonialism, you're describing uh, extractive industry destruction.
1: My main interest in regards to herbs is in using wild plants. So, my feeling is that, um, you know, right now, most of the research still today, although it's not well known, but most of the active research into herbal medicine is by pharmaceutical companies that are trying to find chemicals that can then be copied. Uh, to me, some of the most important research is to look back into the history. And understand how the Native Americans were utilizing the plants and, and also how they were conducting themselves in a way that was sustainable.
0: Just looking out the windows here, right, there are so many. You already pointed out this plant that was growing on our way to the kitchen table, which is what?
1: This is called gold thread. I tease those roots out of the the mossy ground there and um, so what we have here on the table is a small plant with some long almost thread-looking yellow roots. Its uh, scientific name is Coptus. In the earlier days of this country it was known as canker root because it was a well-known canker sore remedy. It is uh, related chemically and medicinally to the uh, herb golden seal, into many other herbs, which we classify as berberine containing yellow antimicrobials. So berberine is named after barberry, which is that shrub that we also saw um, right outside the door, and which maybe people have been seeing a lot lately because it's one of the first green shrubs to come alive in the forest and. It's also one of the most invasive plants, so it is uh, widespread, and oftentimes people plant it in their landscape in maybe maroon or variegated uh, cultivated forms, but um, berberine is a yellow substance that's very bitter. It's very antimicrobial, uh, meaning antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, and um, to the best of my knowledge these herbs are pretty much the strongest antimicrobials that are widely available in our area so um of course the coptis isn't used much today because it's so small although there's, there's a related species used in chinese medicine that is also one of the top antimicrobials in chinese medicine that even though it's still called gold thread the rhizome is much thicker and more fleshy
0: and another plant you had me taste. It was absolutely delicious. I've passed it thousands of times and not even noticed it. Can you describe that one?
1: Uh, yeah, that's called toothwort. And um, I guess uh, at first glance, some people are worried that it's poison ivy because it superficially resembles that being that it, it has a three leaves. And toothwort refers to the tooth, the, the large teeth on the, on the leaflets. Uh, and then it has a a mustardy, horseradishy, pungent flavor, and uh, yeah, it can, we just nibbled on the leaves to get that flavor, but the root, the the flavor will be even a little more crisper and cleaner, more of that pure horseradish kind of taste, because the the leaf has more of the, the, the green stuff in it, and adds to the flavor, and um, yeah, that can be, um, of course, it, it usually only occurs in small amounts in the wetlands like that, but um, the flavor's so strong, you could always pick just a tiny bit and flavor salad or sandwich or something like that.
0: I'm speaking with Nathaniel Whitmore, Mm -hmm. and he is our region's expert. We're in the Northeast in the Catskills and the Delaware Valley River Basin, an expert in identification and the use of wild plants and mushrooms, and also a wild crafter. What I'm wondering, Nathaniel, is... Because this work, this knowledge, this study of yours is, is something you've dedicated your life to and are continuing to, and it's part of of an overall well-being with our relationship with the planet Earth, with this land around us, and with traditions, which are ancient ones. You've acknowledged the indigenous traditions and the depth of that knowledge. I'm just wondering, though, how do you frame this for us so it's not just kind of... Um, people somehow, you know, going into the woods and taking things and it being a continuation of just consumption and how you would describe it for us about your own relationship with this wild world around us.
1: When I first started to read about wild edibles, there is a book, one of the first I encountered, Peterson's Guide, the well-known nature series, Peterson's Guides. In the foreword, the author or authors were discussing how people will mention that maybe there's an environmental concern with the harvesting of wild plants. And they brought up that it really wasn't wild crafters picking a few herbs or wild edibles that was ultimately harming the population of those plants. I stuck with that basic standpoint for a long time. Uh, more recently the last several years I've spent a lot more time uh, going into New York City as well as other urban areas but especially from here to New York City I've seen I've seen a lot of different places and considered the plant populations and and what's happening and um, and then also I've recently returned to my family's farm after being gone for uh, many years and even in my short lifetime, I I can acknowledge how many things are lost. That farm is still one of the more lush places I know, but is nowhere near as lush as it was when I first started learning about wild edibles. So only in recent years I returned to that, thinking about one of those first uh, issues that was brought up, which I kind of just formed my stance on and stuck with it. But now I'm looking at it again and thinking, actually it is a problem here all this time I've been teaching people to to go and and pick these things and now there's places where these things aren't aren't there anymore Mm -hmm. and of course uh, in general uh, I also um, appreciate your question touching on this uh, consumerism aspect because um, obviously in so many ways we are thinking what what's in it for me what can I go out there and get and and you know the the excitement of ginseng and or the excitement of these mushrooms sometimes that that's so contagious that uh, people without even really understanding what ginseng is or how it's used they 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 want to pick it because it's just so exciting to find it, yeah, so that's doing a number on things still the bulldozers and uh urban sprawl uh obviously. You know, nothing's growing where the parking lot now stands, but uh, I am also concerned about the Mm -hmm. over-harvest. To me, personally, a lot of this has to do with um, uh, like the local food things um, issues and just living close to the land and being aware of what is available, working with what's available. I've had a couple conversations recently with folks on the subject of cooking. And to me, cooking is is an art. And when you think about it, cooking goes back to the simple process of taking what you have and making something that's delicious and health-promoting and nourishing from it. So cooking isn't following a recipe. And if you look at a good professional chef, they're not following recipes. I mean, maybe they're checking in on things or maybe sometimes ingredients need to be precise. But in general, uh, cooking is an art of trans forming what you have into something that is what you need that can, that can nourish your life. And, uh, today we have, uh, so many resources wrapped up in the, um, growing of foods out of season. Just think of the energy put into refrigeration of vegetables just to get those vegetables to the store and then maintain them in the store. And then everybody brings them home and has them in their own vegetable. Meanwhile, all these plants are just going to waste. We do have a lot of invasive weeds. My major mission of mine at this point, which has always been the case, but I've noticed looking back that people aren't really catching on to the importance of learning to use invasive plants. Like here we have barberry, the strongest antimicrobial we have, and nobody seems to really know about it, but it's everywhere. And then Japanese knotweed, you know there is there's food use there's medicine use but even also, for
0: lime right with the knotweed that's weed?
1: one of the uh, that's one of the the special areas where mm-hmm. Japanese knotweed is particularly used for lime treatment
0: which is absolutely fascinating because as you say we it is invasive and it's causing many problems along stream banks and choking them out and. That sort of thing, but also we have it here, and if we could utilize it for our own well-being, that would be a win-win all around. And the barberry, yes, I mean, I can attest to that. I mean, I didn't have so many of these plants uh, 25 years ago as I have now, and they're thorny. They're hard to take out. That's a fascinating point, I think, that you're making about your interest in the invasives Mm -hmm. and how we can use them and that they really do have medicinal aspects.
1: I'd like to say another thing about invasives, which I'm not sure if the listeners know exactly um, what this subject is about. I know some people are very passionate about the problems with invasive plants, which are plants that are introduced into a non-native area and then spread wildly and aggressively. But um, we, we get overly focused on invasive plants as being problems. Uh, But really, the plants are not the problem. And one thing that I'm trying to point out is that if the invasives are not there, in some cases, there's not going to be anything there because the native plant populations are already gone. Ah. So uh, we have to understand that nature doesn't like vacuums. So if you take those invasive plants out, what's going to fill in? The reason they filled in is because the native plants were taken out. They weren't just introduced into a healthy environment and went invasive. They were introduced into a destroyed environment, and they went rampant because of the conditions that, we, that people left the environment in. But anyway, we could go on and on.
0: Yes, and I definitely i want, I, I want to continue this conversation. Absolutely. I still have, though, for this episode, some more questions I want to ask or just to discuss with you. So mushrooms seem to have become the celebrity of, of, of the plant world right now. And you're an expert in mycology and mushrooms. So I'm wondering if you can share your own interest in them, what you've discovered and some of the mushrooms that surround us here and and why you think they become the celebrity of the moment.
1: Uh, well, that's uh, that's a, a, a big uh, topic, um, but mushrooms are uh, mushrooming into uh, – <laughs> popularity there's some documentaries that have been going around and and knowledge in general is growing it's it's their time for a number of reasons but it, you know if you look back at um, other cultures a lot of what we're experiencing now is actually not anything new america is waking up to growing mushrooms but shiitake mushrooms have been grown for 2000 plus years so in some ways that's nothing new it's just new, it's just a novelty for us. Good point. Which, by the way, I just picked some today from logs. So it's a wonderful thing to grow shiitake. They 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 fruit all different times. They love the cold weather, and uh, it's it it's exciting. Cause um, and then the other, I think uh, another thing about mushrooms is um, Americans in general were considered to be um, inheritors of the fungal British culture so mycologists will put cultures into fungal loving or fungal fearing categories and um, it goes back to you know survival times the whole feast and famine thing you know sometimes mushrooms have saved cultures during times of famine when the rains came in and flooded the fields but then mushrooms showed up and they still had something to eat but then in certain regions there's a lot of poisonous mushrooms and people it saw so many people uh, make mistakes and, and die or get really sick that they developed a fear. And America kind of inherited this uh, fear, which really came from a lack of understanding because there's so much to learn. But now we're starting to learn and, and we're starting to learn at a very fast rate at the same time that mycology is blossoming in so many different ways like myco using mushrooms to clean up... uh. Toxic areas and using mushrooms medicinally, uh, we have many medicinal mushrooms in in these forests. Like uh, we we're looking at all these hemlock trees around here, and especially right by the water, um, we tend to find the uh, mushroom called reishi, or the uh, American name is usually something like lacquered polypore, um, or 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 varnish shelf mushroom because it looks kind of like a lacquered piece of wood, a maroon color. And it's a shelf mushroom which is a tend to be a large kind of tougher mushroom growing off the side of a tree so they grow on these hemlocks and they're actually one of the most revered medicinal mushrooms if you went to a Chinatown herb shop you'd see a whole wall on, in some places of different kinds of reishi mushrooms
0: incredible yes i've seen what you're describing on these trees right right outside this window yeah. So that's exciting.
1: I should also mention that we're also coming into morel mushroom season. This is not the best area for morels, but there are spots where they're abundant. So sometimes people are surprised to learn that that they're here. Um, in a couple more weeks, they'll they'll get started, and uh, and there's other mushrooms that that come with them.
0: I'm just wondering um, before we conclude. If there's something you want to share with our listeners about the work that you do, maybe a favorite uh, sort of uh, adventure you have, where you discover something in the woods or out there in the wilds, or or just a message you want to send us off with.
1: Um, as far as uh, my work, I um, mostly I work with. The principles and according to Chinese medicine, but I focus on local plants, which there's a lot more crossover than people may guess between what plants we have and what's utilized in Chinese medicine. But, uh, my, you know, I I like to make everything um, fresh and I like to uh, use the local plants as they are, but even when I make the products, I make them from plants that I'm harvesting. And what I've realized, like say the barberry, for instance, I use that as a teaching point a lot when I'm teaching about medicine making, because by making a barberry preparation yourself, you can actually pay attention to quality in a way that a big company can never afford to do, because you're going to pull those roots out and you're going to scrape the outer layer of bark off. And it's a little bit tedious, but... With a day's work, it's such a you, you, it's such a potent medicine that you make enough tincture and or if you're gonna dry it or whatever it is, you can put away enough for the whole year. And it's actually very stable, so it lasts for years. So it's really not that much work. Um, but if if you were to buy barberry from the store or from a, a product, um, it'd be made with the whole roots, which means that the woody part, like with these trees, you know, the, the trunk is all wood, and then the the medicine is usually that that bark layer so you have the outer bark and you have the wood and then that little bit of uh, active tissue there well for the big company they're going to chop up that whole woody root so you have 90% inert material where if you make it yourself you scrape off the part that you're supposed to use so you can actually you're making a better product by doing it yourself way cheaper herbal products are often overpriced and it's it's a big problem because people are spending a lot of money but then they might not even be buying a good product and they don't know how to assess it. So that's why I try to teach people how to use the plants that are local, how to understand their, their qualities and how to best prepare them. And that's basically my, that's what I do and that's my message. And that's what I think is the, the best way to use herbal medicine.
0: And Nathaniel, is there something you've learned from being in the wild? from the plants, from nature that's surrounding you?
1: I guess um, I like to... I I feel like I learn a lot all the time about the uh, plants and about nature and about about everything. And I think that's another important... That is another important message here. Is, is, it, it, it's not about um, just going out and using the plants, like you were saying before, but it's about appreciating the uh the plants for their beauty and their their part in the environment and how that reflects so many things in life you know even the the play of the seasons the the unfolding of the spring blossoms and 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 you know all these things are just it's it's a deep part of our psychology and it's just you know, that's that's how uh, our minds and, and how, every, how our understanding of the world comes to be. And now today we have everybody glued to screens all day long and, and and it's like nature is something that you get a picture of on your cell phone or something. There's a concept in old uh, Japan that's translated as uh, uh, education for pregnancy. And uh, it's the idea is that you should go out and observe something uh, beautiful in the natural world uh, every day. Because uh, when, you, when you're nourishing that life in utero, you want the, to, to, the, the mind to be in a good place. So you might read uh, religious or good quality literature to have a, a, like a elevated material. And then also you want to acknowledge the, the wonder of nature every day. And then there's another concept in Japan, the forest bathing, which has been popular recently, kind of trends into the, the press here and there. And, but they're just looking at how healthy it is to take some time, like the stop and smell the roses idea, stop and look at things, appreciate things. And that's how we learn from nature. But if we don't participate and be part of nature, then nature is that external object.
0: That object that we can use, kill, extract from. Oh, it's just been wonderful. I've been speaking with Nathaniel Whitmore. He is an expert in identification, the use of wild plants and mushrooms. He's a wild crafter and many more things. To learn more about Nathaniel, please visit nathanielwhitmore.com, W-H-I-T, You can check out his plant walks, his apprenticeships, plant and mushroom tours. I had a micro tour, and I am just so thrilled by what I discovered with Nathaniel, and I hope, Nathaniel, I'll be able to join you for a mushroom and a plant tour as the season builds. And um, I just want to say, please, there's so many things that we can learn from you, Nathaniel, and I will never look at my Barberry... (laughs) A plant again in the same way knowing that it has those those healing those medicinal aspects I should say the same thing with the other plants that I passed so frequently that you've shared with me have these important qualities. I'm, I'm going to chew on these roots here of these <laughs> these golden threads. But anyway, I want to thank Nathaniel for joining me at the kitchen table, NathanielWhitmore.com. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening.
0: From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patty Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.